0: Dear Heavenly Father, I just thank you for the opportunity to be here again this morning. And we just pray especially for your Holy Spirit right now, Heavenly Father. We desperately need you. We desperately need your Spirit. I just ask that you would speak through me, Heavenly Father, that your words would be shared. And and I ask that we would not leave this room the same way that we came in today but just ignite a a deeper fire within our hearts. For more of you, we pray. Thank you in your precious name. Amen. Uh, Yesterday I talked a lot about my experience with coming out of quote-unquote what I call wilderness Christianity, which is what I believe that we've all been raised in, Uh, the lukewarm Laodicean condition, the church of the wilderness, and um, the fact that we don't really understand, I think, the deeper life and the deeper experience that God longs for us to have as Christians and believers. So I talk some about that experience and about the key that God has given us in prayer. It's not a magic key just for emergencies. It's our key to life. It's the breath of the soul. We cannot live spiritually if we're not breathing spiritually, which is prayer. And, of course, one of my favorite topics, which I talked about yesterday, was the power of praying the Word. And I, I shared some of these prayer and promise cards, which actually teach people how to pray the Word of God. And you can download, download these cards at our website, ReviveOnReformation.org, and you can ask me after afterwards about that. But just being in the Word of God is so vital, you know. We, we need, as Jason <laughs> Sliger has been sharing in his morning devotionals, and I keep referencing him because I'm like, our messages really do complement and go together. So if you're not hearing his morning devotionals, you really need to hear them or get copies of them to take home. The Holy Spirit coordinates and brings things together. Uh-huh. And I see that happen again and again, and it's really exciting because I don't know what people are speaking about. They don't know what other yeah, people are speaking about. Speak but the Holy Spirit knows. And so he brings things together, and so it's just beautiful. But there has, to be, there has to be a balance in our lives, you know, time in the Word and time in prayer. We can pray and pray and pray, and that's good, but our prayers need to be according to the Word of God. How do we know what his will is if we're not in the Word? We're not going to know how to pray according to his will. And so it's so important that we be in the Word. So uh, I'm going to share more this morning talking about our greatest need. What is our greatest need? And I want to start by sharing a testimony uh, with you, Let's see if I can get my remote to work, um, about Alexander the Great. And I love this story. Maybe you've heard of it, but if you haven't, it's, 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 just, it's just such a unique story. We've all heard about Alexander the Great. You know, he was the mighty conqueror that lived before the time of Christ and conquered all the then known world. But something that is not as well known is that he was also a compassionate ruler. And one day out of every year, he would invite different random subjects from his kingdom to come together and give the request. And they could ask him for whatever they wanted. And one time, this one year, this man was there, and there were many people there asking, you know, some were asking for food, money for food, and some were asking for money for medical expenses or to send their children to school or all these different things. And this one man came forward, and he had a different request, and he said, Tell the king that I want a palace. And he's talking to the spokesman, and the spokesman, of course, is, uh, is relaying the message to the king. And so he says, tell the king that I want a palace. Well, the spokesman is like, who do you think you are? You can't ask for a palace. I mean, look at what these people are asking for, money for food and clothes and medical and all these things, and you're going to ask for a palace? And he says, yes, yes, tell the king I want a palace and I want it to be fully furnished, and I want a large banquet hall Um, because I have lots of friends that I want to be able to invite together. And he's giving all these specifications, and the spokesman is getting more and more upset because he's like, you can't ask the king for this. You know, you need to think of a more reasonable request. Well, the king, Alexander, as the story goes, (laughs) sees that there's some commotion, and so he asks the spokesman, what is the man asking for? And so the spokesman comes up and whispers in his ear, he's asking for a palace, I told him he can't ask for palace, but he's persisting and he wants it fully furnished and he wants a large banquet hall and he lists all the things. Well, King Alexander thought about that for a moment and then he smiled and sat up a little straighter and he says, request granted. Uh. Well, the spokesman is like, how can you grant that request? And the king says, you see all these people and the requests that they're asking me, things that they're asking me for. They don't need a king for these things. Anybody that has a little extra could help them. But this is the first man that has made me feel like the king that I am because only I can grant this request. And I love this story. It reminds me about the fact we serve the king of the universe, right? We serve the king who we're told in Jeremiah thirty-two seventeen, stretches out the heavens by his great power. There's nothing too hard for him. But how often do we stop by just asking for those little things? You know, money to pay the bills, or, or, or food, or, or our lost keys, or things like this. Now this is what is so amazing for me. We serve the king of the universe who holds up the stars and the worlds, who knows them all by name, and yet he cares when we lose our keys. He cares about putting food on our table. There's nothing too small for him. So I'm not saying we don't give those things to God. He cares about the details, the private pain, even the prayer. You cannot pray. He sees that on our heart, and he cares. So we give him these things, but we don't stop. We ask for more. Jeremiah 33, verse 3 says, Call unto me, and I will answer thee and show thee great And mighty things which thou knowest not. And my favorite Bible verse I shared yesterday, Ephesians 3.20, now unto him that's able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think. So why do we ask for so little? Now I just want to clarify here, when I'm talking about praying for palaces, I'm not talking about physical palaces. Some people, God does give Palaces, mansions, whatever too. And I pray if you're one of those people that you're using that for the glory of God. Because that's only the reason that you should have that. But I'm talking about spiritual palaces. I'm talking about the fact that he's calling us to the promised land, to Canaan, to the land spiritually of abundance. And he's calling us to have success winning people and bringing people into the kingdom. And so that's what I'm talking about, daring to ask for more, daring to ask for for palaces. So yesterday I shared some of my testimony. I I didn't completely finish. There's always more things to tell and and more things to share. But I, I just wanted you guys to get a little glimpse of the fact, you know, I don't feel like I've arrived. I'm on the journey with all of you, but I feel like I'm like one of those spies maybe that has tasted and seen A little bit of the goodness of the promised land and I'm just like wow there is so much more for us spiritually if we only recognized um, that and so that's okay let's see here if I can get these controls going the right way and so I believe that God has so much so much more uh, in store for us I love the promise of Malachi 310 which says prove me And see if I will not open the windows of heaven and pour out a blessing that there's not room enough to receive it. Of course, this has to do in the context of tithe and offerings. But this we can apply to our lives. God wants us to prove him and to take him at his word. Now, I think we would all agree. How many of you would agree that we're in a crisis right now in our world in our church? We're in a crisis in our homes. We're in a crisis spiritually. And something needs to change. And um, the exciting thing is, you know, Israel was in a crisis at various times, and God sent people to stand in the crisis and to stand strong. And that's what I believe he's calling us to do as well. So I'm going to bring you to this reference here um, from, from the pen of Ellen White. It says it was because Elijah was a man of large faith that God could use him in the crisis of the history of Israel. As he prayed, his faith reached out and grasped, the promises of heaven. He grasped the promises of heaven. There's one, there's one point where Ellen White says, we are to grasp his promises as leaves from the tree of life. Those are our healing leaves that we have been given in this lifetime to hold on to. The tree of life has been offered. Grasp his promises as leaves from the tree of life. As he prayed his, his um, His faith reached out and grasped the promises of heaven, and he persevered in prayer until his petitions were answered. He did not wait for full evidence that God had heard him, but was willing to venture all on the slightest token of divine favor. And yet what he was enabled to do under God, all may do in their sphere of activity for God's service. Faith such as this is needed in the world today, faith that will lay hold on the promises of God, and refuse to let go until heaven hears. Oops. And, you know, I um, believe that Ellen White was a, divine, a divinely inspired prophet. And I take these words and I say, Lord, you spoke these through your, prom, through your prophet. And I believe that you intend for us to do this. And so I'm claiming your word, and then I take the Bible promises, and I'm holding on to them. Leaves from the tree of life, which I was mentioning earlier, I'm giving you this reference, comes from Ministry of Healing, page 65. Grasp his promises as leaves from the tree of life. Ministry of Healing, page 65. So the topic of this seminar today is what is our greatest need? So what is our greatest need? Um, Ellen White writes in Signs of the Times, our greatest need today is an increase of faith. We all need an increase of faith. But I'm going to take you on a little journey here, so don't get comfortable too soon, because I believe there's something we need even more. Okay? We live in a world of spiritual devastation all around us, We have broken relationships, broken homes, broken churches, broken hearts, broken health. Um, We live in a world that is literally, literally falling apart. And I love what Isaiah 58.12 says, that we are called to be the restorer of the breach. I told you how 2 Corinthians 5 talks about the fact that he has given us a ministry of reconciliation. And here's another verse that goes along with that from Isaiah 58.12. We are called to be the restorer of the breach. But the problem is, how can we be the restorer for the breach, this broken, falling apart world, when there are so many breaches in our own lives? Think about it. This this is a serious, serious problem. And I want to mention some some areas, um, spiritual breaches, Uh, I talk about these much more detail in in my book, Daring to Ask for More, but I'm going to mention some of them right here. These are areas that hold back God's blessing. Now, this is a prayer seminar. How can we go deeper in our walk with God? How can we go deeper in prayer? How can we have a deeper walk with Him? I'm addressing issues that affect our prayer life. These things affect our ability uh, to connect with God and to see Him working in our lives. So these are spiritual breaches, unconfessed sin, idols or addictions or ungodly mindsets or conversations, ungodly behaviors, relationships, worldly preoccupations. You see all these things. These are breaches in our life that hold back God's blessing. Now I'm going to look briefly right now at ungodly mindsets because I think this is such a problem um, for all of us. I read a while back a book called Respectable Sins, and I was just amazed to see some of the things that were listed in this book, Respectable Sins. Now, why do we call these sins respectable? They're acceptable. We're all guilty of them, right? How can you preach against them? Because you struggle with them. How can I preach against them? Because we all struggle with them. These are generally acceptable sins. But do you know if we look in God's Word God's word speaks against each one of these things. God's word speaks against these things, and he wants to give us victory in our thinking patterns. But we allow, you know, spirits of anxiety or discontentment or unthankfulness, frustration, judgmental spirit, all these different things to creep in. And the more they creep in, the more they poison our soul, right? And you've experienced those at different times in your life, and maybe you're struggling with some of those now. But these are things that the enemy specifically brings in to cut, to cut our connection and to embitter us so we, we don't have that connection with God that we desperately, desperately need. I'm going to go a little, a little deeper here in talking about sins of the tongue. <laughs> you know, when we look at Christians or, or, Christi- or other people look at us and come into the church... Our prayer should be that as they see us, they would really see glimpses of Jesus, right? And so I want to be a Christian. In fact, I have to say, you know, very big influences in my early life and probably in some of yours were people who genuinely lived the Christian experience. And you saw how they related in stress and you saw how they related when they were wrongly accused and all these different things. And you said, I want the peace like so-and-so has. I want to be able to relate like they do because they were under that control of the Holy Spirit. But these are things that the enemy is constantly trying to get us um, to fall. Think about the kind of fruit that we bear. Matthew 12, 34 says, Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. So this is not so much a control of the mouth as it is a heart condition, a change of heart. And that's why we have to continually pray. And I shared a, you know, a little testimony of my own yesterday. Lord, change my heart. Ezekiel 36, 26, give me a new spirit, create a new spirit within me. Take away the stony heart out of the flesh. I can't control this anger and this frustration. You have to change my heart. But if we will submit to that and we will say, Lord, I give you my will, I give you my heart. I'm asking that you would change my heart. When our heart has been changed through the power of the Holy Spirit, different things are going to come out. They're going to come out of our mouth. It's not just like, oh, I, I can't. I should, I should have bit my tongue. But you know what? In the sight of heaven, man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. You can be biting your tongue all day, and, and we say, oh, you're a wonderful Christian controlled person. But inside, you're festering with anger and frustration and bitterness. You're just not saying it. What is countable in the sight of God? It's the heart. And so that's why we have to pray. And all of us, Lord, change my heart. I want a pure heart. I love Matthew 5. Um, I forget the reference. It's in the Beatitudes chapter about the pure in heart shall see God. And I was just praying you know, a few weeks. Lord, you know my heart is not pure. I want a pure heart. Give me that heart. Um, that I can see you, so looking at the heart, we see a critical heart you 're going to have a critical tongue, a self righteous heart, a judgmental tongue, a bitter heart, an angry tongue, an ungrateful heart, a grumbling tongue, a loving heart, a merciful tongue, a faithful heart, a truthful tongue, peaceful heart, reconciling tongue, and you go all the way uh, all the way down, and so much we need to pray that he would change our heart and I thought it was really interesting i 'm not going to go into this in depth. But when you look at the characteristics of the 144,000, it actually says there was no guile found in their mouth. There was no bitterness found in their mouth. That's because their heart was right with God. Education, page 189. Many who would shrink with horror from some great transgression are led to look upon sin in little matters, as of trifling consequence. But these little, respectable sins eat out the godliness of the soul. And that's why I'm talking about them. You know, we often don't even mention them, we don't even confront them, we don't even talk about them. Here I am talking about a prayer seminar and how do we go deeper in prayer? We need to get back to the issues of the heart. We need to get back to the issues of surrender. Is our will truly yielded to God? Now, you might be discouraged by some of those things that you saw on that list, you know, all those different respectable sins, and you might be thinking, where do I even start? I'm struggling with all of them. In fact, today I've struggled with all of them. That might be what you're thinking. But I just want to encourage you. Jesus came to the world to save sinners, of whom I am chief. And the fact that we recognize our need and I recognize our sin qualifies us for the gift of salvation we go to the cross we say lord you see the mess of my thoughts heart everything i'm a sinner it's not just sin is not just who we what we do (laughs) it's who we are we are sinners desperately in need of the blood of christ to cover us and so take courage Um, if you recognize your need that is the best place to be Here's another reason that I'm talking about these things here in a prayer seminar. In the whole satanic force, there is not power to overcome one soul who in simple trust cast himself on Christ. Can you say amen? Amen. There's not power to overcome one soul who in simple trust cast himself on Christ. But we must have a knowledge of ourselves. We must have a knowledge that will result in contrition before we can find pardon and peace. It is only he who knows himself to be a sinner that Christ can save. And that's what I just just said. I'm going to talk about one more area, satanic strongholds. And you might think, you know, well, we're Seventh-day Adventists. You know, we're da-da-da-da-da. We're not struggling with satanic strongholds, but I want to illustrate. I want to share a story. I have a missionary friend um, that used to be serving in the jungles of South America. And some of you may have heard the story before. He was traveling along on a bus through the hills, bumping along, and discovered he was sitting next to a witch doctor. And so they started talking, and the witch doctor started boasting about all the powers that he had. And you know I could cast a spell over your family, and I could cause your wife to leave you, and I could bring you the woman of your dreams, he told my friend. And my friend said, no, (laughs) I don't think so. You know, I'm happily married. I, you know, don't have another woman of my dreams. But, But anyway, the witch doctor is continuing to boast. And my friend says, no, you couldn't do that. You couldn't touch my family. And he says, oh, yes, I could. And he said, well, let me ask you some questions. And so he's like, have you watched such and such? And he lists some of the popular television programs of the region of the world where they were from. And my friend says, no. And he says, do you watch such and such? And for some reason, soap operas was in this list. (laughs) Soap operas, and my friend says, no. And he says, do you read such and such? And he lists some of the popular contemporary magazines of the world. Do you listen to such and such? He listed some of the popular radio uh, music stations and different music that was popular for that region. And he said no. And so he keeps asking these questions. And he says, well, I've got you on this one because all men struggle with this. So he's like, do you look at pornography? And my friend says, no. And so he asks a few more questions. And then the witch doctor says, you're right. I can't touch you. But the moment that you partake in any of those those things, I can exercise all the power in the world over you because you've given me a foothold into your life. Do we realize that by our little worldly compromises, how we go along with the world, (laughs) whether it's music or or this or that or whatever, that we're adopting those practices. We're actually giving the enemy a foothold. And specifically in the areas of the mind, you know, the bitterness and, and all these different things that we struggle with in our mind, we're giving the enemy a foothold. Now, I'm not about so much preaching reforms As heart reform because I believe if the heart is reformed everything else is going to follow okay so my business is not going around telling people how you need to do whatever but awakening people to the issues that affect and eat out the godliness of our soul if we only recognized how these things affect our walk with God we desperately need to see our spiritual breaches healed um, do you know what the most popular religion at the end of time is going to be? The Bible tells us what it is. Does anybody have an idea? <laughs> this is what the Bible says in 2 Timothy 3, 1 through 5. Know also that in last days perilous times will come. People will be filled with self-love, proud boasters, disobedient to parents, having a form... Of godliness but denying the power thereof the most popular religion at the end of time is a form of Christianity and it can be the most popular religion in our own church we look like Seventh-day Adventists we sound like Seventh-day Adventists we preach the messages or we profess faith in the messages maybe we even pay our tithe and and go to Adventist schools or eat veggie meat or who knows what (laughs) You know, we're like, yeah, you're Adventist, you, whatever. But do you know that can be a form that's covering up an empty, hollow, wilderness spirituality? And we desperately, desperately need Christ to change us. And I want to encourage you, this is not about willpower that I'm talking about. It's not that we muster up more willpower to be changed. The, the task in front of us, what God is calling us to be, this is actually going to be the topic of my next book, actually, um, that I'm working on now, what God is calling us to be is actually humanly impossible. You catch that? Humanly impossible, what he's asking us, the standard of holiness that he's calling to us to, the, the standard is higher, you know, human, than human thought can, can imagine, It is only through the power of the Spirit indwelling in us. That's why we need to pray, Lord, don't give me, you know, our prayer should not be, Lord, give me more peace. Lord, bring the God of peace to dwell within me. Don't, Lord, give me more love. I don't have love. May the Lord dwell within me through the power of the Holy Spirit, that I will have that love because we don't have it. We don't have the the willpower to produce what we're supposed to, to produce as Christians. And so that's why we need to surrender our will to his power and say, Lord, change me. I submit my will to you. I give you my heart. Change me. So is revival and reformation our greatest need? I'm talking about what is the greatest need? What was the name of the book that you mentioned you were working on? Uh, the next book, I didn't give you the title. Oh, I'm sorry. I just <laughs> no, no, the, the title is going to be Daring to Live by Every Word. Exactly. And sometime this next year that will be coming out, Um, but it's on surrender and practical godliness. So we're talking about what is our greatest need? Was it faith? Well, we admit we need more faith. Is it revival and reformation? Well, here we're obviously told the greatest of all, most urgent of all our needs is a revival of genuine godliness. But for the sake of what I'm sharing today, I believe there's something that we need even more. What about the Holy Spirit? Let's look at this um, this morning. Some of you may be aware of the revival that took place in Wales back in 1904. Uh, I visited this place a few years ago and it was just really special to see. A revival took place in Wales that just shook the whole world. Basically, um, half a million people came to Christ The the taverns and the saloons where alcohol sold all these things ran out of business. The judges didn't even have cases to try because people were in prayer meetings. They were seeking the Lord. If you've never read about some of these revivals that took place, um, Ron Cluse has a book called Adventism's Greatest Need, and he actually talks about this revival in detail. Um, and that's where I pulled some of these things from. But there, there are prayer groups springing up everywhere, all-night prayer meetings. People were earnestly putting away sin and seeking the Lord. And I believe we still feel the effects of that today. So this comes from Ron Clouzet's, uh Adventism's Greatest Need, which I really, really re- recommend. A beautiful, beautiful book. But I want to talk about what happened before this great revival took place. There was a man by the name of Evan Roberts who just had a burden uh, to see the church experience deeper revival. And after, sorry my clicker is going ahead of me, after spending much time in his own prayer closet, this is where it started, Um, He came forward and began to share with just a few people, you know, like a small group like this. And then it just exploded. The Holy Spirit was with him and the work. And this is the message that he was preaching. And think about what this would do in our church today if we were following this message. You must confess any known sin to God. Put away all spiritual breaches. Put away all those things that are coming between you and God. Make right any wrong done to others. Put away any doubtful habits, addictions, things like this. Obey the Spirit. Obey what the Spirit is telling you to do. And confess your faith in Christ. Share with others what God is doing. Share with others what He's done for you. And He says here, We must rid the churches of all bad feelings, all malice, envy, prejudice, misunderstandings. Bow not in prayer until all offenses have been forgiven. But if you feel you cannot forgive... Bend to the dust and ask for a forgiving spirit, and then you will have it. So this is the message that he was preaching and speaking that sparked that revival in 1904. And in 1904, Ellen White wrote the following, Why do we not hunger and thirst for the gift of the Spirit, since this is the means by which we are to receive power? Why do we not talk of it, pray for it, preach concerning it, for the baptism of the Spirit, every work should be pleading. And so, over and over again, as we read through God's Word and as we read um, through Spirit of Prophecy, we see we don't recognize how desperately we need the Holy Spirit. Um, I got to keep going here. If God were to take the Holy Spirit out of the midst, uh, Pastor Carl Bates once said, about 95% of what we are doing would, no. Yes. If God were to take the Holy Spirit out of our midst today, about 95% of what we are doing in our churches would go on, and no one would know the difference. Isn't that a scary thought? But if God had taken the Holy Spirit out of the midst of the first Christian community, about 95% of what they were doing would have stopped immediately. Big, a big discrepancy here. We desperately need the Holy Spirit. And and I already shared this quote, um, so I have a couple double slides here. But we desperately need more of the Holy Spirit. However, for the sake of what I'm sharing, I'll come back to the Holy Spirit. I believe there's something that we need even more. <laughs> You're going to say, how can you need more of the Holy Spirit? Well, I'll, I'll get back to this. I shared a little bit of my testimony yesterday growing up in the church, um, not really, really seeing life in the church, struggling with what I saw, not really enjoying attending church. It's a miracle of God that I'm in the church today. And I praise the Lord for for the godly people that God placed in my life, the positive spiritual mentors that showed me what genuine Christianity was supposed to look like, because I saw a lot that were not living up to it. And because of that, many of my family members left the church, and I was very tempted to. But I praise the Lord um, for those people in my life. Anyway, I wanted to serve the Lord. I gave my life to Christ. I was baptized when I was 12 years old, wanted to be a missionary. That was my goal. Um, And I basically, in high school, started doing missions and got busy in ministry right out of high school. And I shared this yesterday. started traveling here and there all around the world. And if you would have talked to my friends back then, people actually looked up to me as a spiritual leader. Um, I was one of those people that was, you know, sought for for counsel, and I, I taught scripture memory programs. I was doing all the right things. But there was something that was subtly growing in my life, and I didn't really realize it at the time, and that was spiritual pride. Because you see, I was a good person ha <laughs> ha, quote unquote, <laughs> I'm doing the right thing, and you know I'm, I'm seeing people with struggles and different things, and I'm thinking, "Oh, you know, they really have struggles. Thank God, I don't have struggles like that but not recognizing the sinfulness of my own heart, not not recognizing personally what Christ has done for me on the cross, my desperate need of the cross. You know, as I shared yesterday, I think that we oftentimes, when we grow up in the church, when we grow up with the gospel message, we take it for granted. I mean, intellectually, we understand. He died for me. I've confessed my sins. But it does not break our hearts. But if you have been out there on the streets or done such and such or whatever that we consider unacceptable, and you come to the cross and you recognize what Christ has done for you, your heart is broken, right? How could he do this for me to give me a new life and a new heart and a new start? But we, beautiful pious Pharisees who've lived in the church our whole life, don't recognize what he's done for us. And so this really was a problem for me. And I love this. This so clearly brings things together. And then another quote um, from Inspiration, however trifling this or that wrong act may seem in the eyes of men, no sin is small in the sight of God. Man's judgment is partial and perfect, but God estimates all things as they really are. The drunkard is despised and told that his sin will exclude him from heaven. Well, pride, selfishness, and covetousness to often go unrebuked. But these are sins that are especially offensive to God for they are contrary to the benevolence of his character and to that unselfish love which is the very atmosphere of the unfallen universe. Wow. And it goes on here in the next... I'm going to show you here in the next slide. He who falls into some of the grosser sins may feel a sense of his shame and poverty and his need of the grace of Christ, but pride feels no need. And so it closes his heart against Christ and the infinite blessings that he came to give. And I think that this is one of the biggest things that is really killing us as a church today is, where did I go, (laughs) is pride. You know, we think we're rich and increased with goods and we're, you know, we're doing pretty good. So God allowed me to go through uh, some experiences that were very breaking to my pride and breaking to my heart to really allow me to see my need. And I'm going to talk more about that in a couple days when I share more of my testimony about growing above and beyond faith even when God is silent. And that's a very important message. If you know anybody that's struggling with their faith or trusting God, not understanding why God's not answering their prayers or different things, this is a really important message to bring people to. Um, When I talk about growing above and beyond faith, I think I'll share that on Thursday. So do we recognize our desperate spiritual need? And I said yesterday, if we do, then we're at the perfect place for God to begin His work in our life. I love this quote from Ministry of Healing. Our only claim to His mercy is our great need. I'm sorry, I'm standing right in front of you guys. (laughs) You know, often I think that we want a painless Pentecost. We want to be full and free and fruitful without getting to the cross, and without being willing to be broken. We want that painless Pentecost. But to be broken is the beginning of revival. It's painful, it's humiliating, but it's really the only way. So what is it that keeps us from being broken? Pride. This is what keeps us from being broken. I love this. I got this off of social media. Pride is the carbon monoxide of sin. It silently and slowly kills you without you even knowing. You know, carbon monoxide takes away the oxygen, ability of the blood to carry oxygen. So you begin to suffocate, but you don't know. You just go to sleep and you die. I have a friend that died of carbon monoxide poisoning about five years ago while sleeping in a van beside the road. From the soul that feels his need, nothing is withheld. I love this quote from Desire of Ages. I read this and and claim this every day. From the soul that feels his need, nothing is withheld. He has unrestricted access to him in whom all fullness dwells. You know, the more that we spend time in God's word, the more we recognize the holiness of who God is, the more we recognize the unholiness of who we are, the more we recognize our desperate need of him. And so if you want to know your need, just go to the foot of the cross with the Bible in hands and open God's word. Go through the Psalms, go through John, go through the Gospels, and you will see your need. We've been talking about the fact that we are in a spiritual war. Now, if you were called to go out and fight a battle, how important would it be not only that you had your armor on, but that you had eaten and you had your strength, right? You wouldn't want to go to battle if you had been fasting for 10 days because you just wouldn't be strong. You're seeing stars and you're dizzy and it's a struggle when you're fasting. And so think about the fact we wouldn't go to a spiritual or physical battle if we hadn't been eating or drinking. But we're in a much more serious battle that we're living in. And how much more important is it that we're eating and drinking daily, spending time in God's Word, spending time in in prayer, memorizing the Scripture? I want to share a few more testimonies that I didn't have time to share yesterday. I was talking about how God has opened the doors for me to get involved in prayer ministry and kind of grew from smaller events to working with the general conference, and then we're bringing prayer teams to the general conference and just seeing so many miracles happen. And I had a prayer team there coming in at 3 o'clock in the morning and we'd spend three weeks, three weeks fasting and praying for the leaders of our church. I talked about this yesterday. If ever there was a time that you need to be praying for your pastors, for your conference, for your leaders, it's now. The enemy is angry and he knows that he has a short time and he's trying to take out our church and he's trying to take Mm -hmm. out us and destroy our faith. You know, our confidence and faith is not in a person it's in Christ. It's not in humans, it's in Christ and God. So things may look like you know, they're going to fail or we don't understand here, but we know who ultimately wins the war. But anyway, so we've had prayer teams at the General Conference you know, walking the building and claiming for claiming and praying for people by name. And this is not a, you know, name it, claim it ministry. This is a group of young people we are sincerely in earnest to see God work in his church. We are in serious earnest to see the Holy Spirit brought back as we're told that it will. And so we're just going like, Lord, we don't know what we're doing, but we have a burden for your church. Please show us how to pray. No one gave us this idea. We just felt convicted to do it. And so we go and we start praying. And many, many different things we've we've seen God do in, in, in miracles, but it's really special because. We're there praying for the leaders, and I'm going to share a story about what we saw God do in leadership. There's so many stories. I journaled a lot of these, um, but it, this was really special because we would come in at 3 o'clock in the morning, and the first person that we would see would be the security guard at the front desk, and they have to let us into the building, you know, <laughs> huge building. You don't just get in unless you have a pass or a badge or something. So they let us in and check us all in, and, and I asked the security guard excuse me, I asked them, how can we pray for you this morning? And I have to be honest, at first they weren't very excited about this prayer team coming in at 3 o'clock in the morning, you know, because they have to keep, what are they doing and where, you know, when this first started? But we'd ask them, what could we pray? And they'd be a little hesitant, but then they'd, well, you could pray for this or that or whatever. But with time, God began to bond our hearts with them, and they began to be eager to share with us their prayer burdens. And um, we have developed a relationship with the security staff, and as time has gone on and the years have gone on, we've been continuing to do this each year. This started back in 2011 or 2012, so we've done it for six or seven years now. Um, And it's really exciting because some of the prayers that we prayed as a group five or six years ago, I'm seeing answered right now. And I'm like, wow, do you remember when we were all wrestling and praying in the basement of the GC for such and such to happen? And it's happening. And so it's really, really cool. I get goosebumps just thinking about it because we, we don't see, and really until eternity, we're really not going to know what our prayers do. And you have, to, you have to hold on in faith knowing God promises when we're asking according to his will and for the glory his glory to be fulfilled. He's answering the prayers, but you may not see now. You may not see until heaven. But we're, we're still seeing answered to prayers and, you know, we still have the prayer team that comes in. But anyway, so this back to the security guard. So this, this one year has happened a couple years ago now. The security guard met us with tears and he says, my wife has been diagnosed with breast cancer. She's got tumors all through her breast and, um, you know, it's just we're afraid that it's probably spread and all these different things. Could you pray for her? And so we started praying for her every morning. You know, Lord, we're praying if it could be according to your will that you would heal her. We know that you can do this. But if it's not according to your will now, give her strength for the journey. I know it's God's will to heal, but I don't know if it's immediate, if it's going to be gradual, if it's not going to be until the second coming. Um, You know, the Bible actually does say that he allows some to die to save them. I don't understand that, but we have to trust that God knows what he's doing, and that's very difficult when you have loved ones fighting with disease. I have a mother currently um, that—I've always had a mother, but I should say (laughs) currently— Currently, she's struggling with the stage 4 lung cancer, but you know it's a miracle of God through various things, and um, God has preserved her life. We've we've pursued the alternative treatments versus chemotherapy in other ways, and she's still with us, and several of her tumors have gone away, so we praise the Lord. But it's a struggle, because you don't know. You're like, Lord, you know, we need her to be here for many more years, but I don't know if she's going to have another year or more. We don't know, so we have to trust God. So we're praying for this man's wife. At the end of the time he met us, we we came in a little late because we were going to be there all day. He met us and he told us, "Um, "You will not believe what happened." We went back to the doctor, and all the tumors are gone. And the doctor is like, "I don't know what to say. I have the scans that show it. This doesn't make sense." And the doctor is just like scratching his head and baffled. And the man's crying, and he says, "It's because of prayer. There are people praying for us. God has done this. This is a miracle." Well, I was so excited about this. I've seen God heal other people. This is not the first time, but I was so excited about this because we are there praying for the leaders of God's church, the presidents and the directors and, you know, everyone there that works at the general conference. We are praying that God will bring a deeper revival and work in their lives and pour out his spirit upon the church and all these things. But I'm like, but God also cares about the gatekeeper. Amen. <laughs> he cares about the person at the door. This is not exclusive to you or you or you. And you may think sometimes, well, I'm not deserving of the miracle. You know, so-and-so, yes, I can see why God answers their prayers, but he couldn't possibly answer mine. I'm not deserving. <laughs> we can't think that way. That's lies of the enemy. He cares about each one of us. And if he is not giving us what we ask, if we know it's for his will and glory, keep praying. Don't let go. Persevere until you see the answer come. Now, there are some things that we might pray for. We think it would be for his will, but we don't know. And we have to pray with open hands because he knows best. And there are some things I've prayed for, I'll tell you about later, that I am so thankful God did not give me because he knew best. Okay, something else that happened, and I've got to keep going here. Um, So we're meeting, we're praying with all the leaders and um, something, um, one of the treasures, this was from the West Central Africa Division, gives his report of the finances in the West Central Africa Division. And there's over 3 million members in this division. And his report this year was the fact that they are bringing in 23% tithe. Now Is that a good number to be bringing in? 23%? 23% 23% of members are paying tithe. Oh. I thought you meant everyone was paying 23%. Of no, free. sorry. <laughs> I'm going, yeah, 23%. Not 10%, 23%, no. 23% of members are paying tithe. So this is not good. We need to see change. So we're praying with the leaders. They got really inspired with prayer and revival and reformation, whatever, the division president and his team. They went back to West Central Africa and started praying with their staff there, and started preaching this and promoting revival and reformation. They came back the next year, hundred and three percent tithe. This is millions of people, and our treasure at the general conference is like, what in the world did you do to go from twenty-three? You know, obviously there's more people paying tithe than our members of the church. <laughs> or somebody's paying that twenty-three percent. <laughs> Anyway, they said, we've just got our people praying. And, you know, as we are on our knees praying, you're going to see the returns. You're going to see the giving. You're going to see the outreach. And so that was a beautiful example to me how I see God taking this little thing and yet multiplying it. And that's what we want to see him do ultimately. I see God working um, all around the world with prayer groups. And it's been so exciting for me. I was in the Philippines. I've been back to the Philippines a few times now. But this is a group that I visited five o'clock in the morning. I go to join their prayer time. Almost 400 young people are there to pray. Five o'clock in the morning. I'm like, wow. And we have a hard time coming at six o'clock or seven o'clock, you know, uh, just to hear our devotional. We see this happening in Indonesia and China, all around the world. And it's just beautiful. And I wanted to bring out this quote From that I may know him, we must look to Christ, we must resist as he resisted, we must pray as he prayed, we must agonize as he agonized, if we would conquer as he conquered. You know, we see in Ezekiel 9, 4, the talking about the mark, and this is, bless you, bless you, (laughs) this is talking about the mark that we are going to receive in the last days, God's mark. And do you know where that mark actually goes? It goes on the foreheads of those that are sighing and crying, and I could say agonizing for what's happening in the church and what's happening in the land. God is looking for people that are going to sigh and cry on behalf of the lost, on behalf of those um, that are struggling. This is really, this is a huge prayer group. Do you any idea where this is? G-Y-C, yes, I thought this was just happening in Indonesia and, and Philippines. And the last several years at G-Y-C, you go to the 6 o'clock prayer room, and you can see that the adults don't want to miss out on the blessing. <laughs> so they're coming as well. We had almost 1,000 young people coming to pray at 6 o'clock in the morning. And you know what was so beautiful about this huge room? bigger than all these rooms combined, huge room, almost a thousand young people packed in there, that it was in perfect order and harmony, and it was not chaos. This person's praying, and that person's praying, and we're singing together, and it's just beautiful um, how how God brought things together. I have one more testimony to share, and then I have a short video that I'm going to play as we close. I don't know if any of you were part of the 100 days of prayer that we had leading up to GC session. My remote on my phone catches up with me after I switch it on the keyboard. Um, Hundred Days of Prayer, we prayed back in 2015, leading up to GC session, and we are just praying, Lord, please guide in the decisions of your church that they're going to be making, and guide in the decisions that's, you know, happening with who should be in leadership, and we're just most importantly praying for the Holy Spirit, and I think we need to be praying that even more now, but anyway, so 100 days of prayer, there was a group in Africa that, that joined 10 days of prayer back in um, January. Any of you ever taking part in 10 days of prayer? Yeah, if you haven't, I really encourage you to get your churches on board. So they did 10 days of prayer, and then 100 days of prayer they joined, and this group started growing, and it was like 50, and then 60, and then you know 100, and then 200, and then 400. And, and there were so many blessings happening in answers to prayer just within the group the members were inviting people from other denominations to come. And then pastors from other denominations started joining the group as well. And so we had Adventists as well as many other denominations that, that were coming and praying together. And during this 100 days, this, this woman um, met me there. At, this is the prayer room at GC Session, by the way. Um, back in 2015, we had a prayer room. Um, and we're going to have one in Indianapolis in 2020 next summer. So if any of you want to come and help us pray on behalf of the meetings in church in Indianapolis, I know that's maybe not real close to here, but it's closer than some places it could be. Um, Please pray about coming. We had people that came that didn't know how that they were going to pay their expenses, but they felt that God had called them to come and pray, and so they came in faith. And then God provided housing, and God provided food, and all these different things. And one lady came, and she could hardly walk. You know, she had a walker because she had some knee injury or something like that, but she came because she felt like God had called her to pray and God healed her knee or something like that while she was there. We had this group from Papua New Guinea that came into the prayer room and they couldn't speak the language, but they just came in to join those that were praying. And while they were in the room, they understood every word that was prayed. God gave them the gift of languages, hearing, I don't know, gift of tongues, so many testimonies from the prayer room. So, next summer, June 25 through July 4, you know, I invite you. We're looking for more prayer warriors to come and join us down there. Back to what happened in Kenya, Africa. This group is praying, and there's a group of pastors within this group that are not Seventh day Adventists, and they meet with the leaders and they say, We're really impressed with what the Adventists are doing. Can you meet with us and teach us what the Adventists believe? So, 30 pastors met with the Adventist group for like three days, and they studied what Adventists believe. And of those 30, half of them made the decision to become baptized Seventh-day Adventist. In the time since then, we've had close to 60 pastors from other denominations that have joined the Adventist church. And some of them have even brought their entire congregations with them. And God is going to be doing this more in the future. We're just not prepared. You know, we need to get ready. So praying for rain is a huge you know, praying for rain, praying for the latter rain. This is the 10 days of prayer that comes up um, in January that we encourage you to save the dates and and be part of. And then this is the hundred days of prayer that I just talked about. There we go.) Uh, <laughs> There's the hundred days of prayer, March 26 to July 4. Um, And you can always contact me, revivalandreformation.org. There's a contact form there and reach out more specifically. But I have one more thing I'm going to share as I close. And by the way, I also have some goodies for you. Today, everyone's going to have a goodie, and some of you are going to have two. (laughs) So just hold on to your seats for another minute. You know, when we talk about praying together... We are encouraged to pray for success with the divine assurance that our prayers will be answered. And you know, the promise of Matthew 18, 19 says, if two of you shall agree, it's touching anything that they ask. Ellen White writes, regarding this promise, this promise is made on the condition that the united prayers of the church are offered. Now, let me tell you, we have to be in our prayer closet. It doesn't go anywhere if we are not personally in our prayer closet. But we shouldn't just stay in our prayer closet. We need to be coming together as families and as churches and as communities to pray together. And how much more? And this is directly here. uh, nine, Nine Manuscript releases what she says. In answer to those prayers, this is united prayers, there may be expected a power greater than that, which comes in answer to private prayer. And why is that? The power given will be proportionate to the unity of the members and their love for God and for one another. As we come together, there's a beautiful unity that takes place. And God can work as he would not otherwise work. What is our greatest need? I talked about faith, revival and reformation, Holy Spirit. I believe that our greatest need is that we are daily broken with a recognition of our great need. In other words, every morning you come to God and you say, Lord, I need you today. I do not dare go through this day without you. And I'm praying that this morning. I'm thinking about coming and sharing with all of you. And I'm thinking, Lord, help me because I don't have what I need to share. You have to help me. You have to give me the message because this is his message and not mine. So our greatest need is that we are broken and recognize our great need. Because if we don't recognize our great need... He can't send more of his Holy Spirit upon us. He can't do more of this. He can't give us more faith because we think we're good. <laughs> we think we have what we need. But if we are broken and recognize our great need. And by the way, brokenness is all is not, is not just being emotional. Emotions are sometimes part of it, but brokenness is the condition of the heart that says, I recognize who I am in contrast to who he is, and I recognize I am unworthy, like Isaiah. Lo, you know, woe is me. I'm a man of unclean lips. I don't have what I need. Lord, change me. And so it's a condition of the heart, and we say, we don't have what we need. But this is a beautiful thing where the Holy Spirit comes back because we would not recognize our great need if it weren't for the Holy Spirit's promptings. So the Holy Spirit really is our greatest need because we would not recognize, but they work together. I have a video that I want to share with you as we close. You know, we're very good at organization. We're very good at putting things together, but I believe that we need to learn how to agonize. Agonize, truly agonize. And this video has really uh, touched me. Um, this, <clears throat> could we see all the activity of human instrumentality as it appears before God? We would see that only the work accomplished by much prayer, which is sanctified by the, te- the merit of Christ to stand the test of the judgment. So my appeal to you as we close um, today is really to go back to your own prayer closets and just to get on your knees and say, Lord, break my heart with the things that break yours. Give me a heart to pray for my family. Give me a heart to hold on and not let go until I see the answers. Give me a heart to pray for your church. Give me that heart of anguish. Help me to recognize my need, recognize who I am in comparison with who you are. And... Maybe you struggle with just faith and belief. You know your life is a mess and a wreck and you're struggling, but you don't believe that he can do in and through you what he desires to do, and you just have to say, Lord, give me faith. Give me faith to take your word and to believe. Our only safety as Christians is when we stay at the foot of the cross. We must stay at the foot of the cross, and when we are there, we've reached the highest place which we can attain. I'm going to have a word of prayer, and then I do have some books I'm going to give out, so just hold tight. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you again for this opportunity to be here together. And I just plead for each one in this room, Father. You know what each heart needs. You know the struggles. You know the burdens. But you know our greatest need, actually, is for a closer and deeper walk with you. And so, Father, just work in us. Fill us. Awaken us. Give us a hunger and thirst that will not be content with anything less than more of you. Thank you, Father, for hearing this prayer. We pray in your precious name of Jesus. Amen. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.